Genesis chapter 1. This morning we continue our slow walk through the book of Genesis. Um, last week we finished our second week looking at day 4 of creation. And there we said we are told that God set the sun and the moon in the firmament. They were to govern day and night respectively. They were to shine lights on the earth and they were to help us to keep the time. They were to mark out days, years, and seasons. But we see several things shadowed for us in this passage. Things that will help us see the wonders of redemptive history. Also, we will see the correlation between the Trinity and these lights, the church and the sun, the governing of day and night and ruling. These point to many things that will be seen later in God's Word. Understanding them will help us to make right conclusions. And from this we learned the Old Covenant was the night and the New Covenant was day. These celestial rulers represented earthly rulers in church and state. The moon's rule has passed away. Story rep stars represent the host of heaven and the host of church. This week... We will be looking at the first living creatures to be created in the, in the, in the Genesis account. Now, I qualify it thusly because there probably were, was the creation of the various types of angels on day four. Uh, yet, we are not specifically told that in the text. So, therefore, um, we will see these as the first living creatures with physical bodies. This, like the separation of the two waters, it is done in two stages. First, God caused the sea to abound with living creatures, the first use of that phrase. Also, God called the birds into existence. We will see from this passage God continuing to fill his earthly temple with things pointing to the things in the highest heavens, in the highest temple. We will also see the contrast once again between light and darkness, as, al as also we will see the creation of creatures that will symbolize our great enemy from the fall onward. From this we will learn God creates the swarms to fill his, his earthly temple. God once again creates three different classifications of creatures. The tannin displays God's awful power. To what does the tannins point us? And we will see in this division of animals the separation of darkness and light. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's Word this morning and remain standing as we ask God the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of His Word this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. The Word of the Lord reads, Then God said, Let the waters abound with, the, with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the first day. <clears throat> Thus far the reading of God's word. Huh? What's the matter? Nothing? Okay. Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the, uh, this word that you've given. We praise you, Father, um, for giving us your Holy Spirit that we can understand it. We ask, Lord God, that you would bless and keep us. 
and that, Lord, you would grant to us understanding of this you have given us to know, and that, Lord, we would believe it because it is your word. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and we ask, God, that you would bless the preaching of the word, and that, Lord, your people would grow by it. We pray, Lord, these things in your blessed Son, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Alright, so, God creates the swarms to fill His earthly temple in verse 21. God calls for the waters to abound. This gives the idea of myriads of animals. Uh, filling both the water and the sky. The connection in the sentence in the, in the Hebrew um, gives this idea almost that God is calling the birds or the flying creatures out of the water, but this is just merely a misunderstanding. Uh, but let us confess that if this is what God was saying, we don't care what science says, we're going to believe the Bible. But I don't believe that is what it is saying. I believe that it just goes from one topic to the next. Um, and, and that's, that's just how it, it is stating it. Um, what I want us to see from this opening statement in day five, which I apparently said wrong, is that this is a day with a Holy Spirit emphasis. Right? The Spirit is the one that gathers and draws God's creatures to Himself. So when, when we see that God is uh, doing something among the angels, or if He is doing something, we're going to see... Uh, in chapter 9, where God calls, or chapter 8, where God calls the animals to Noah. The Holy Spirit is the one doing that operation. He is drawing them. And so this word here uh, can mean swarm. That This abounding can mean to swarm, to gather. And so this is a Holy Spirit emphasized day um, where the creatures of the earth are mimicking the creatures of heaven gathering to God, around God's uh, altar, His earthly altar. So, remembering our handout from several weeks ago, we see that the dry land above the water represents the earthly altar. That was, uh, that, then what we see pictured here is the swarming of creatures around the earthly altar, picturing the heavenly creatures gathering around to serve God. The flying creatures will not just be birds, but all creatures that fly. This answers the criticism from many that Moses didn't know that bats were not birds. Right? You know, that's, that's what you'll hear from secularists all the time. See, you, God, uh, God didn't write this. Moses didn't know there was a difference between a bird and a bat. Well, now, Moses would have had to have been an idiot if he knew what a bat was to not know that he didn't have feathers. So the, he wasn't here scientifically classifying animals. Right? He, he didn't put them in our kinds and types and you know, species. Rather, this word in the Hebrew means flying creatures. It can be better translated that way rather than flying birds. Right? So, uh, so what, is, what, what we have to understand here is in Leviticus 11, 13 through 19, that's not what Moses is doing. Um, this would include all creatures which fly. Next... God, once again, creates three different classifications of creatures. He does this over and over in Genesis 1. He creates these three things. He creates these three things. Then he creates these three things. Right? We are told, as on other days, God says it should be, then, it do, then he does that thing. He says, 
to let there be. Then he brings that to be. In day four, we saw that God made the sun, moon, and stars. We pointed out that these can be associated with the Trinity, the sun corresponding to the Father, the moon, the sun, and the stars, the spirit. Now we see the same thing, uh, same kind of thing. The three things that God made can be seen as pointing to the Trinity. Now look at your handout. The tanning, which is here translated sea creatures or great sea creatures, uh, correspond to the Father, right? The mighty Father. And then the fishes uh, to the Son, because He's the fisher of men. And then birds to the hovering spirit, flying, right? And so we, we see this connection can be made. Once again, God showing the three parts of Himself um, as one. Um, the three things that God made can be seen to be pointing to this. So even while God is creating actual living creatures, He is pointing us to Himself. That we can see some of His attributes, even if only in a creaturely way. When viewing things this way, we must make sure that that truth comes from the Bible. Then creation confirms that truth. So what we, want, we don't want to do is we don't want to say, well, that looks like this and we have no basis for it anywhere else. Right? We, we don't want to go out and start speculating, looking around at creation about who God is. We know who God is from His Word. But we can make those connections in His Word with creation. Um, we, we must allow the creation to testify to our God as we live here and rejoice in the things that He has created. Does that make sense? So, we're not all going to see these things. Some of our minds work a little differently than others. Some of us are very... Uh, logical and, and just straightforward with things, and that's okay. Other of us can be a little bit too flippant with our imaginations. We have to be careful on the other end. Uh, as Douglas Wilson says, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, so we have to be careful as we go down the road. Um, so, But this helps us to understand then what Paul means when he says that the creation groans for redemption. Why? Because this is not how God originally created everything as we know it now because of the fall. The effect of sin has marred all of his creation. So then the tanning displays God's awesome power. Verse 21a. What exactly is the tanning? It is a translated it is translated several different ways, but the best way to understand the word is dragon or great serpent. What we see from this creature is great is, is great size and strength. Several times in the scriptures we are told that these animals, of these animals, might and strength. Now I've provided for you uh, a list of scriptures of every time this word is used, but one of my favorites is Job 7.12, which says, Am I a sea or a sea serpent, a tannine, that you set a guard over me? So great was this animal or these animals that they would need one to guard them. Its mighty power needed being checked. Many times the Greek word used to translate tanning is drakon, clearly meaning dragon. We see that connection there. I mean, you see that even in the Greek translation. It's a dragon, right? And that's, that's how they understood it. Many times um, we get kind of choked up on this, and this puts many of the translators of our modern 
translations into awkward positions. We have been told that there is no such thing as dragons. They're just myths. There never were dragons. Men just made them up. And they all look the same and act the same in every culture, everywhere that man is found. That's just not likely. That we would have a mystical creature that everybody imagined all around the world, even cultures who had never been introduced to each other, have the same creatures with the same character and the same fears of those creatures. Um, so, do we uh, go along with what science tells us? Many have tried to connect this large dragon serpent with a particular dragon or those dragons, or the uh, dragons, sorry, dinosaurs, uh, or those, and I'm going to say this wrong, and Seth can correct me, but it's paleosaurs, paleosaurs, they live in the water. Um, the, they're, the, they're the dinosaurs that were in the water. The problem with this is that it has no real biblical foundation. Like much that we have seen with hermeneutical approaches thus far in Genesis 1, the authority begins to appeal not to the Bible, but to science. Um, this, this is just this idea where Christians want to be scholarly and they want to be accepted by scientific branches of their schools and so they just can, to this conform. They, it's Unitarianism. They, uniformitarianism. They want to begin to make the Bible be scientific rather than making science to kneel to the Word of God. Amen. And that's what we have to get back to doing. Now that means you have to be able to say, yeah, I do believe there's a dragon, that there were dragons. I do believe that. I do believe that there were such things as dragons. That might make us nervous, make us uncomfortable around certain company, but that's what we have to do because we have to confess what the Bible confesses. The Bible says that there were dragons of many different types, large and small, therefore we must confess the same. Psalm 104 24 through 26 reads, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full, is full of your possessions, the great and wide sea, in which are innumerable teeming things, tannin, living uh, things both small and great. There the ship sails about. There is that Leviathan, which you have made to play there. Here we have the creature of Job, 41, and this type of creature connected. So, what does the tannin point us to? In, in verse 21, we, we pointed out that all the sea and flying creatures point us to the angelic beings surrounding the throne of God, that it was the Holy Spirit that gathered these swarms of beings, and that they formed the glory cloud. Now we see that these large sea beasts and the ones later made on land on day six, which fit the category of Tanin, point to something after the fall. It, it would seem, since death had yet to enter into the world, that the Taninum, which is plural for Tanin, were large but non-violent creatures. We're going to see in day six that all the land creatures and men we're given two things to eat, vegetables and fruits, and that's it. Now, 
I believe the fall transformed us and we need a source of protein on a steady diet. So meat is good. I'm not, no, nowhere am I going to tell you to be a vegetarian. Because you're going to waste a lot of money on supplements to replace what you're not eating. Right? So chicken, beef, turkey, it's good. It's good for you. So we need to understand that that's not what I'm saying. But what we do need to understand originally, animals weren't eating each other. And man wasn't eating animals at all. We were given these things uh, later after the flood. So this means more than likely these tamim were vegetarian as well. They were eating plants in the sea. Uh, and so they weren't, you know, it wasn't blood and claw. That's, that's what we're told by science. Blood and claw for millions and millions and millions of years. But we have a problem when we get to the end of day five. Because if that is true, and then in day six it's true, then what we have is God saying the killing of animals and violent death is good. But that does not fit with what He tells us in other places. It is sin that has caused these things. Sin brought death into the world. We find this... Uh, in Romans, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 12, that, it, that death entered the world through sin. It entered the world through sin. Now, you know what I learned this? I learned this at South Mountain at 3 o'clock in the morning with Robert Owen. He's like, Michael, your understanding can't be right. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because nothing can die until man has sinned. Paul says so. And I'm like, oh, dude, how did I miss that? Right? And so that means that man is millions and millions of years old, which nobody believes, or the world is not as old as some would like to say. So what we have to understand is then these animals were not originally violent and, and scary beasts. So it seems that death had yet to not come, so then after the fall... They are connected to our enemies. Isaiah 27.1 says, in, the, in that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. This is not the only connection between the Hebrew word for dragon and that of a serpent. Exodus 7.12 reads, for every man threw down his rod, and every and and they became serpents. Excuse me. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Now we know what this is, right? Aaron goes into the court of Pharaoh and says, "God says, let my son go out into the desert for three days to worship." And he said, "No. Why would I believe that your God has told you this?" And he throws down his rod, and it becomes a tannin. It becomes a serpent. Then the magicians of the uh, the Egyptian magicians throw down their rods, and they became tannin as well. But Aaron's tannin ate up their tannin. Try to say that fast. So this is that connection, right? We 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 have it translated serpent. The word for serpent here 
is our word tani, and this is the miracle that was performed through Moses in Exodus 4.3. Now remember what's going on here. He's at the burning bush. God says, go to my people and tell them that I've sent you and that, that I'm going to release them from their bondage and I'm going to bring them into the land of the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Hittite, and the Jebusite. And Moses says, how do I, how, how, what if they don't believe me? I say, hey, I am said, come get you. And they say, Psh, we don't believe you. He says, what do you got in your hand? He said, well, it's a rod. He said, well, throw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. But the word serpent here is not the same. The word for serpent here is nakash. It is the same exact word for serpent in the garden. So the serpent that was in Pharaoh's court is the same kind of animal that was the serpent at the burning bush. Same miracle. Same rod, exactly. So what we see here, then, we could say that there's a, we should have the understanding that there were not only uh, dragons at one point, it also means there is still spiritual dragons today. This tells us that a small talking snake is not what deceived our first mother. We often think and we portray to our children the idea of this cutesy little snake sitting up in the tree like something out of Jungle Book. <laughs> right? It's talking. And we, we almost like the snake. Turn to page three in your outline. I mean, in your handout. Is that not what we tell? Is that not what we tell children? Yeah. Satan was in the garden. Yeah. But but that's not that's not what he looked like. Now, I'm not telling you I know what he looked like, but from the descriptions in the scriptures, it seems that he's more likely like a Japanese dragon that you'll see on the next page. By the way, I've given you a present. That's a stencil. If you ever wanted a dragon tattoo, you could take it to the parlor and you can. <laughs> I'm joking. It was just the easiest to print out. Don't go get a tattoo. Um, don't, especially that. Um, so, so that's that's more than likely what we're seeing, and we get this because this dragon, serpent-looking creature, has legs, and we know that he doesn't after. God takes that from him as a punishment. You will crawl on your belly and eat of the dust of the ground. So he was a walking serpent, uh, and he, Satan took this form. He chose this form. And you go, but, you know, it's just hard to believe that that serpent that looked like that was talking. At one time, there must have been talking serpents. And you say, well, how can you say that? Well, I don't. I don't have to say it. God does. And I believe Him. I mean, that's where we have to come down as Christians. Listen, we've become minimalists. We, we don't have faith that God can save our children because we don't believe what His Word says about the creation. We don't believe what the Word says about the fall. And we don't believe what the Word says about his en our enemies. And how powerful they are. We make cartoon caricatures of them and make our ch children fall in love with that idea when it's false. We should make them terrified of the enemy in all his forms. 
We see in this division of animals the separation of darkness and light. Verses 22 through 23. We have here the first of three blessings on what God creates. God blesses the sea and air creatures, telling them to be fruitful and multiply. This helps us to see the manner in which we have been given so many fossil fuels and coal and gas deposits. This has been something that the evolutionist has pointed to as a way to claim the necessity of an old earth. But if God, in one instance, filled the ocean and the land with creatures, this would explain the vast amounts of these deposits during the flood. Now, what I want you to do, I'm going to challenge you. This week, I want you to read this text over and over again and show me where God only made a few fishes and large sea creatures and birds. It's not even close to being able to you. There's no way. There's no way you can get just a few fishes out of the abounding swarms of creatures that God has said here to create. He filled the ocean with sea creatures. He filled the earth with air creatures or flying creatures. He filled it. It's just what he says. Now, if you can find some reason that I've interpreted that wrong, please contact me. Um, just let me know. You've, you've probably got my number or my email. You can, you can contact me uh, and, and show me grammatically how I'm wrong there. I, I'm all wrong a lot on grammar and error, so that's possible, but um, I, don't, I don't think it is here um, that I'm wrong. So this helps us to understand this. The, um, God, in, in one instance, fills the ocean and the land with these creatures. We see that these three sets of creatures are said to dwell in two places, one in the sky and land and the other in the waters. These can be seen to represent places of light and darkness. In the depths of the sea and deep lakes and rivers, there is darkness. Seeking, seeing, that, seeing what we said concerning the Tannin, it is easy to make the connection with sea and darkness. The flight of most of the flying creatures would be in the daytime, making this then the connection to light. This shows us that God had always the an this antithesis in mind. There was going to be a struggle between the dark and the light. There was going to be a struggle against the dark and light. We should not be surprised as we seek to live for God that there are those who come against us. We should not be surprised when there's people we work with who hate us because they hate who lives in us. The light, if you're shining your light in the world, right? If you're just as good as, as the little uh, nursery rhyme you got in uh, Bible school, vacation Bible school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. If you're just that good, then they're going to hate you because your light, your goodness shines on their darkness. That you don't partake in lusting over women in your workplace. That you don't watch pornography. That you're faithful to your husband. That you don't go out to the bars. That you raise your children to love Christ. Those things shines light on their wickedness because they do those things. And as they do those things, your life lived before them reminds them of their darkness. The antithesis is always there. Always. Always. 
And it has been there since the fall, which we will see. So, it also helps us to see that it is not the creature, but the sin, darkness, we are at war with. Remember what I said about the Tannin. They were not evil creatures. They were not wicked creatures. They weren't. It is the sin that man committed that drove them to their meanness, their violence, and their bloodthirst. It is the effect brought on by the curse that makes them so. Now, this helps us. This points us that the battle against the curse, that is a battle against the curse, and not the creature under the curse. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6 reads, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you, I don't think that I'm in the... Yeah, I am, maybe... For though we walk, here it is, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, binding every thought into captivity, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all obedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Here's what Paul is saying. Those people who oppose you, those people who hate you, you're not fighting their flesh. You're fighting the sin. You're fighting their sinfulness. And you have to pull down all their lofty ideas. Make them live consistently. I believe we're all just animals. Tooth and claw, that's all there is. All right, then give me your stuff. No, it's my stuff. No, I'm going to take it because I'm stronger than you. Give me your stuff. Amen. No, that's wrong. Okay, well then, now there's a standard. Amen. You can't be tooth and claw and keep your stuff. You can't. Right? I mean, it's simple. Would it be wrong that a man kick in your door, shoot you in your head, steal your wife and your children and take them for their own? Well, yeah, it'd be wrong. Why? Isn't that what animals do all the time? Isn't that what wolves do? We, I mean, they're your ancestors, right? Them and monkeys. Why can't we act like them? We'd be wrong. There, there is no such thing if there is no God. There is no such thing as if there is no God. But we've got to remember that unless they're kicking in your door to take your wife, you're not allowed to physically harm them. We're fighting their ideas. We're fighting their blindness. Their deafness, their deadness. We have to pray that God saves them, brings them to life, changes their heart. As He did you. And so, that's what we have to understand is, is the issue here. And God's showing us over and over and over again. This is what it is. It's light against darkness. It's death against life. We are to battle with the gospel to, de to destroy the curse. Our war is not against God's creation. It is for God's creation. So may God grant to us the love of His creation. Seeing Him, 
in all that is made, so that we would fight with all our might with the sword of the Spirit to slay the dragon and not the people enslaved by him. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Blessed God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for all that it shows us. God, may it instruct us, may it prepare us. Thank you for using it, God, to cut us, to rearrange us, and to wash us, Father, to prepare us, God, to image your Son in the world this week. We pray, God, that you'll give us the strength to do so, and that, Lord, we will rejoice in you always. For it is in your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, most holy name we pray. Amen.